to your early uh, time after salvation. Uh, maybe if you got saved young as a child, it might be a little bit more difficult. But there may be a, you know, a time I know that when I got saved, you know, I didn't know anything. I just knew that basically my testimony was my way did not work and I needed God's way in order to save me. I mean, that, that was the way it started. But as time sort of creeped on, there was a lot of confusion that had to work out. Because, see, you don't understand when you first get saved, we don't understand um, how things are going to go. You know, we, uh, and, and some people get stuck in these sort of immature understandings of who God is, where you think that, uh, you know, well, now I'm a Christian, so God's going to make everything smooth. He's going to take away all my problems. He's going to make things uh, work out for me all the time. You know, but you don't know in the beginning. But then as you go, things start to make sense and you start to learn things. But there was a moment where I would say maybe for me it was probably about uh, a year in, you know, the 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 few months prior to me getting saved and then the first year, I mean, I was reading the Bible like crazy because I was just trying to learn. And maybe a year in, there was this moment when just the most earth-shattering reality settled onto my heart. And it was in that moment that the entire concept of living as a Christian in a fallen world made sense and without that moment without that understanding I don't know how anybody could can go I mean I don't uh, there's a lot of things I don't understand in the world uh, one of them is I don't understand how uh, people can uh, exist for uh, lengthy periods of time in a prosperity gospel situation. I don't understand that because it doesn't, it won't add up. I don't understand how. It just seems to me that six months in, you would realize this is ridiculous. It doesn't work, right? You would just, but people for years. But the, what, what dawned on me was the sovereignty of God. I could not walk with God. I could 100%. I would not make it a week as a pastor. Not a week if I, didn't, if I wasn't 100% convinced and sure of the sovereignty of God. I mean, apart from, uh, you know, the doctrine of who God is and the doctrine of how God saves, I would say that sovereignty is the most important understanding that a Christian comes to because you cannot make sense of anything in your life or in the lives of the people that you love or the people that you minister to or the things that you do nothing makes sense apart from that nothing and so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look for a few moments in the beginning at the sovereignty of God but then what we're going to do is we're going to shift and we're going to take a look at, well, now what happens when the sovereignty of God takes root in your heart? Like, how do you know 
that you believe the sovereignty of God. Because this whole series of, you know, the experience of God is about what happens when the things up here get down here. Because there's a, there's a difference between knowing something in your head and believing something in your heart. Because when you, the heart is what drives our actions. The heart is what drives our, uh, the things that we do are, are from the heart, not the head. The head influences the heart. And so what happens when that takes place? So the realization that God is sovereign will free us to rest from pretending that we are. You see, the most exhausting thing in the world is when you are ignorant to the sovereignty of God and you are trying to live as if you're sovereign. You're trying to orchestrate things. You're trying to control things. You're trying to, uh, you know, the, the greatest freedom is the moment in Christ when you realize that because you belong to God, He's the one in control. You're not. So you can just lay all that down. It is, you know, there's no, there's no peace and no joy apart from that moment. But in the beginning, we all struggle. There's, there's a struggle when you first come to Christ because all of our lives we have been sovereign until we meet Christ. And so we're used to that. And so there's a, you know, there's that, that season of trying to sort all that out. Sovereignty explores the question of who is in charge. But it does so in a very grand and overarching way. Who is in charge? Who is in charge of everything? Everything. So a few things, you know, I didn't want to give you a nine-page outline tonight, but this first part could have easily been nine pages. I mean, just I could have just went scripture after scripture and shown you all the different ways. Just a few to think about. God's sovereign over our daily lives and plans. Our daily lives and plans. Proverbs twenty twenty four. a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Proverbs 19, many of the plans are in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You think about the passage from uh, James chapter 4, where the scripture says, uh, you know, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a place and buy and trade and uh, spend a year there and make a profit. And the Bible says, if the Lord wills, you know, that we don't, we're not, we're not the one who is in charge. Then there's the sovereignty of God over the seemingly random things. A lot of times what we do is we'll make the mistake of thinking that God is not sovereign over unimportant things because He's too important. Well, that's a mistake. Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So He's even in the little seemingly random details. So for example... Uh, and we'll get into this in a moment in a deeper way. But when something happens in your life that you don't understand, the, the pathway to navigate that successfully is the pathway of the sovereignty of God. 
So, for example, when you're awakened in the middle of the night and the front of your house is on fire and the back of your house is on fire and you have absolutely no idea what's going on and you still are trying to figure this whole thing out, it's the sovereignty of God is the pathway. So, for example, um, that particular, that Friday, about 4.30, so it was almost dark, Cameron... Uh, asked Lisa if she would move her car so he could play basketball. Now, that wouldn't normally be that unusual, except for it was almost dark, and uh, Cameron's basketball season has come to an end, so he's moved on from basketball. Now he's on to other things. So he hasn't been shooting basketball for the last couple of weeks, but that particular day, right before dark, he asked Lisa to move her car. If Lisa would not have moved her car, if it would have been parked in the place it was normally parked, my house would have burned down with all of us in it. The other thing is, is that when she moved her car, she had every intention of moving her car back. She left her keys in the car, which would seem like a very bad thing, except for she didn't move it back. Her keys were in the car. Well, on her key ring is the, is the little uh, you know, remote to our alarm system on our house. So when the car goes up in flames, the remote melts, the wires get fused together. That's the only reason why I was awakened in the middle of the night. Had she not left her keys in the car, I would have never been awakened until it would have been way too late. Now, do I know all the answers to all the things? No. But the point is, is that it's the sovereignty of God that leads you in understanding that knowing that God's in even random details. God's sovereign over life and death. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside, besides me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver me out of my hand. Now, here again, here's a place where I say God's sovereign over life and death, and Christians say, yes, we believe that. Yes, we know that. But hold on one second. Because continuously, I'm in a situation with you. We're in the hospital. And the medical staff comes into the room and they say, well, your loved one's not getting any better. And they're hooked to this machine. And... They look at you and say, here's all the options. Um, we need you to tell us when you want to unplug the machine. And inevitably, what you feel in that moment, and it has to do with uh, one of my frustrations is the way that the medical community communicates that to people. I wish that the hospitals would let me train the staff on how to say that. It drives me insane. But inevitably, you are in this crisis moment. And I have to pull everybody together and I have to say, let's all just hold on for one second. That guy in that white coat that just walked out the room, he's not in control of that person's life. That machine that's connected to that thing is not in control of that person's life. 
you are not making a decision about when your loved one will die. You just abandon everything that you know about God in that moment. You understand? So what I'm saying is, is that's the difference between here and here. Because it's going to feel like you are in control of it, but you're not. You see, so that there's a difference between knowing something and experiencing it and understanding it so that in the heat of an emotional moment, you realize it. What about the birth of a child where things don't seem to be as they should be? Well, for example, with regard to disabilities, in Exodus chapter 4, the Lord says to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Again, you're going to see that the sovereignty of God can be, uh, it can be challenging at times, but it's the only way to peace and understanding. What about even the death of Christ, the death of God's Son, Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God? Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, but Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Isaiah 53. It was your will, the will of the Lord, to crush him and to put him to grief. Then there's bad things in parentheses. Parentheses. Bad things. There are things we think are bad. I form the light and create the darkness. I make the well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Again, when you read the sentence, I make well-being and create calamity, the way you understand what that says is based on your understanding of the character and nature of God. You see, that is a very comforting thing to me. Some people, that bothers. I'm greatly comforted by the fact that God is behind well-being and calamity because I know in God's economy, calamity is never calamity it's never but I may not see or understand that uh, Job chapter 1 uh, what about Genesis 50 and the story of Joseph you know he's bad things he's you know thrown in a pit by his brothers he's sold into slavery by his brothers he's abandoned in prison by the king bad thing bad thing bad thing you get to Genesis 50 and you know, a nation lives, people live because what God meant, what the world meant for evil, God meant for good. They're not bad things. They, there may not be good things. They may not be, but the thing is, it's the way you interpret the word bad. God's sovereign in all things. God works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1. Psalm 115, our God in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours is thwarted. So there's just some examples. We could go 
the sovereignty of God in creation. We could go the sovereignty of God in salvation. We could go the sovereignty of God. It goes on and on and on. Whatever you think of, we can go there. But why do we resist God's sovereignty? And believe me, we do. And many people do big time. They don't like it. It frustrates them. Well, it's because at our core, we're selfish and we live according to our own definition of good. You see, those two things are going to cause a major problem in your interaction with the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God causes us to have to take a posture of humility. It it forces it. You can't do it any other way. And you have to redefine your understanding of good. Look at 1 Peter 5. Very interesting passage of Scripture. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. I want you to look at that verse for a second. Now, isn't it strange? Why does Peter say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He will exalt you at a, a future time. In other words, that you'll, you'll get to a place of understanding in the future. So this is talking about in the meantime, when you don't see, when you don't understand, where you're not, you don't have the, the view that you need. You cast all your care upon Him, for He is good, for He cares for you. You see what I'm saying here? There, right there, you have a, a, a passage of Scripture that gives you a pathway to uh, receiving and experiencing the sovereignty of God. I've had people uh, in frustration, you know, uh, talk to me about my teaching on the sovereignty of God. I've had people leave the church over the sovereignty of God. Uh, which always cracks me up because I'm like, well, it was God's will that you get out of here. So, <laughs> so you know, it's just one of those things that there, there's no, I can't, I can't interact with the Bible apart from this understanding. There, there's just no, not, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It won't make sense. It, it, it's just not, it just will not, it's not an option for me. So, for example, um, think about the, the, the famous autobiography of Corrie ten Boom, you know, the daughter of the Dutch watchmaker who, in Nazi Germany, her and her family were, uh, were hiding Jews in their house from the Nazis and smuggling them out. It's a very famous uh, Christian autobiography. And so, uh, in her autobiography, she tells the story of how uh, the Nazis eventually caught them for uh, harboring Jews and put, them in a, put her and her sister Betsy in a concentration camp. So there they are in this concentration camp, and uh, she tells of, you know, being in this barracks, barracks 28, and it was this run-down, dilapidated building. The windows were broken out. It was designed to house about 150 people, and there was over 1,500 ladies in it. There were five to a bed. They were laying all over 
you know, straw mats on the floor. The, the plumbing didn't work. It was, it was a horrific environment. So there they are. And every day they'd be taken out to these different work details and so on and so forth. And so what they did was as they're, you know, here they are, they're captured, they're put in there, and it's the worst possible scenario you can imagine. And on top of the surroundings that they had to face, there was, it was it totally infested with fleas. And so everyone was just getting eaten alive by these fleas. And so Corey recounts just sitting there in this defeated moment like, God, really? I mean, it's, you know, really? Fleas? Like on top of everything else, fleas. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, she got out of her funk and her and her sister had smuggled a little Bible in and they started ministering to the ladies in the barracks. Well, uh, it became quite successful. And one of the things that they noticed was the guards would, were, all, were all around the outside of the building but they never came in, ever. And so they had total freedom whenever they were there in the evenings to minister without, because of course, if the guards would have known what they were doing, they probably would have killed them. But the guards never came in, never checked. And so they just, you know, took advantage of the opportunities that they had. Well, one day, Corey gets taken off to some work detail, and her sister stays there and was part of a group of ladies that had to knit socks for Nazi soldiers. And as they're knitting the socks, they get into some confusion about what size socks they're supposed to be knitting. And so Betsy goes outside and tells the, the uh, guard to get the supervisor to come and straighten this out. What size socks are they supposed to be getting? The supervisor says, I'm not going in there. And the guard said, I'm not going in there because there's fleas in there. And she said, the reason that they got to minister to so many ladies and lead them to Christ is because the sovereignty of God brought fleas into that building. That it was the fleas that actually allowed them to do that. You see, what, what I'm saying is, is that it's, you have to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That in due time, you know, you're, the fleas are not going to be something that you're grateful for or thankful for until dozens of people come to faith in Christ and you realize it was the fleas that enabled you the ability to do that. And then you become very grateful for the fleas. You see, the thing that you learn about God when you start to think through the lens of and live through the lens of His sovereignty is that God is not passive, He's not distant, and He's not indifferent. He is none of those things ever at any time. And that's very important to understand. You see, it's the... It's a scriptures like Psalm 121 that says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He won't let your foot be moved. He doesn't take days off. He's not, he's not disconnected. He doesn't go on vacation. It's not, 
He doesn't have some hierarchy of things. You see, the, the thing is, the resources of God aren't taxed by the complexities of the world or our lives. So think about this for a second. The reason that we struggle to experience God through His sovereignty is because we, if you don't intentionally preach to yourself, you will humanize God. And what happens is we start to think of God in a human, in a human way as if God somehow has limited time and limited energy and limited resources. Therefore, He's more focused on important things and less focused on unimportant things. But that is to totally misunderstand and misrepresent who God is. You see, if you have unlimited resources and unlimited capacity, then it doesn't matter. There's no difference to God. He's just as sovereign in these grand moments of life as He is in the fleas. Because He's unlimited in His capacity. So anything that puts God that humanizes God, I will reject. From the moment that we are conceived to the last breath of life, there is no such thing as fate, fortune, luck, or coincidence. None. None. So sometimes I think about things like, It's going to mess some of you up because now you're going to be, you're going to smile and you're going to be like, he got me. See, I'm going to get in your head. When I'm driving down the road and the light's red, I think, hmm. Or the light's green, I go, hmm. I think about the sovereignty of God in that. Like, I wonder, is that red light, you know, because God wants me 30 seconds later to get to something or come to some intersection in just a moment behind or this, that, or the other? And it's just simply the reason why I do that is because I'm constantly interacting with you in your situations, in your circumstances, especially in, in, in calamities and struggles and things of that nature, and it's we're always, always talking about the little ways that God orchestrated the details. And so it starts to get into your head to where you just start to think that way. You just think that way. You just think, well, see, I don't think that, I don't think that red lights are random in my life. I don't. Ever. Now, it's going to create a problem for you, and maybe we'll explain this when we get into the deeper end of the pool, but sometimes when I'm in this moment and I'm pulling up and it turns yellow, I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, like, because what's happening here, God, you see? Because free will and sovereignty just clash, you know what I mean, or in a situation. But I like it when it's red or when it's green. Yellow kind of bothers me a little bit. That's God having fun with me. At the center of biblical teaching is the idea that an all-loving, all-powerful God who is in action for us and with us. He's in action. 
He's got all the power. He's loving. And he's in action. And so, like, for example, whenever I'm uh, reminding you that the value of a promise is based on the capacity of the person to deliver and the willingness of that person to do so, well, when God promises something, like, what? He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. That's all you need to know. He has ultimate capacity and ultimate willingness. So if it's good for you, it's going to go according to His will that way. Now, it may not be what we think, but it's, it's always His purpose, His all-loving, all-powerful action in our lives. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God, well, basically, God's created all things and has supremacy over everything that He's created. Now, that's just a generic way of saying, you know, what sovereignty means. It, it is the reality that God can do whatever He wants to do, whenever He wants to do it, with whomever He wants to do, do it with. You know, there's no limit to His ability or capacity, but at the same time, it's also His willingness and His nature to be involved in the smallest, minute things. It's just who He is. He, he's not involved in things to show us that He can be. He's involved in all the things that go on in our lives because it's who He is. It's just part of who He is as God. And so, nothing, therefore, can stop His plans. Nothing can take Him by surprise. And there is not one thing in the cosmos that is outside of God's control. Not one thing. Not one thing. Proverbs 16, the Lord has made all for Himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. I love this verse because I love what it provokes us to think about. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. So, even the wicked fit into God's plan. Everything fits into His plan, even the wicked. Now, how do we understand this? Well, God didn't create men to be wicked. That's a result of choice. But it's a choice that God knew before they made it. It didn't catch him off guard. So what you have to understand is that you have to, you have to think about uh, who it is that you're talking about before you start answering the question. In other words, you first understand God's capacity and, you know, his his, uh, that He's all-knowing, that He's all-powerful, that He's omnipresent, then you take the fact that there's wicked and evil in the world, in a world where God is totally sovereign, and yet man is born with free will. And how do those two things work together? We'll get to that in a second. But it's the fact that nothing catches them off guard. 
So, God causes evil and suffering to accomplish His purposes without being the author of either. You might have to think about that for a moment. He doesn't author either of them, but He causes them to work for His purpose. And all that is is just a, a different way of saying Romans 8, 28. Because nobody's ever applying good things to Romans 8, 28, are we? No, we're not. So now, are these two competing agendas or objectives? In other words, you know, it sounds like one of these is canceling out the other one. Like either God's sovereign, uh, you know, either he, he causes, he's the one who authors wicked and evil, or he's not sovereign. Well, no, no. So think of it like this. I am free to make choices, and I am responsible for the choices that I make. And it's very clear in the Bible when you break it down and think about it. Yet, my freedom in no way compromises the sovereignty of God. Now, I'll just explain this to you in a very simplistic way. That God, in creation... You see, when, when God was speaking the world into existence, He already knew the end. He created fully knowing everything that lied ahead, correct? Right? Yes. Okay. So now think about just the, the, the actions that occur in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve make choices God puts a tree in the garden he didn't have to put a tree in the garden he chose to put the tree in the garden he intentionally put the tree in the garden and he when he told them don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil when he he knew that when he made the tree and when he told them that he knew exactly what they were going to do but he did it anyway so God didn't cause them to eat of the fruit. But by them eating the fruit, it didn't catch him off guard. And it was all part of his plan. You see, his sovereignty didn't prevent Adam and Eve from doing what they did. And it also didn't prevent them from doing what he used to accomplish his purpose, did it? Well, no. And the same thing is true in our lives. So, we have freedom to make choices. We are responsible for those choices. But those choices do not compromise or jeopardize or threaten the sovereignty of God in any way, shape, or form. Now, when is all of this, where, where does all of this come to bear in our lives? You see, because the sovereignty of God is not something that is going to be extraordinarily valuable to you until you come into a place of pain. See, that's when you're going to need the anxiety incinerating reality that God is sovereign. Is in pain, is in frustration. 
That's when you begin to realize, uh, you know, little things. You see things in creation and, and understand uh, what God's sort of teaching us by it. You know, it's the, it's the cloudy day when the sun's, you know, when there's no sun. But the sun is beaming just as bright as ever above those clouds. But you can't see it. But it, it's there. But you can't see it. You don't, you don't feel its warmth on your skin. But it's, it's there. And it just, you know, the first time you fly in an airplane and you go above the clouds. And, you know, there's this moment of realization of, oh, there's something going on up here that always goes on. That's always continually happening in the same way. Down here, we're always experiencing all of these variations of things down here. But not up there. It's always the same. You see? And this realization of God is, is, is at work and He's handling things and He's doing things. And when we, when we hit pain, when we hit trouble... That's when we, something's got to give. It's got to. You're either going to, you're either going to, pain is going to force you to reckon with the sovereignty of God or you're going to throw your hands up and walk away. That's the only option. See, See, the thing is, if, if, if even one tiny detail falls out of the bounds of God's control, then how can we ever have assurance in hardship? You can't. You can't. See, if, 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 if I... If I knew that there was something that could slip through God's hand that he would, would, would not know, would not see, would not, I'm out. It's over. It's over. It can't be that way. There's no assurance in that. There's no hope in that. There's no, because the, because the point is, is that when, and, and here's the thing, like if you, if you, were, if you were a hospice chaplain, you would live this every day. If, you were, if you're an ICU nurse, you would live this every day. If you, you, know, if you worked in a, a, maybe in a funeral home and you were interacting with families after the death of a loved one, you would... You see, because when you're continually... Just continually interacting with people in pain. You realize that if God's not sovereign, nothing, nothing works. Nothing. Nothing. There's, there, there's, no, there's no path to peace. It, it doesn't exist. Because of God's complete sovereignty, no frustration will ever be wasted in the lives of his children. No frustration. So, so what this means 
is that, again, if you, if you go to bed every night worried about what might happen tomorrow, then you either have a sovereignty problem or you have a goodness of God problem. See, something's off the rails. You could believe God's sovereign but disbelieve that He's good. Therefore, That's the only way you could do that. Or you could believe that He's not sovereign and therefore it wouldn't matter whether He was good or not. But the point is, something has to be wrong for you to dread what, what hammer's going to fall tomorrow. But if God's sovereign, then whatever hammer may be, whatever thing may happen, whatever, uh, you know, there, God makes a way through that. He makes a path through that. But, it's, but through that is through His character and through His nature, through knowing who God is. You have to know who He is. And the thing is, is if all you're knowing about God is up here, think about it. Pain, pain derails this. It derails your thoughts. It de- in the midst, you can't think straight. You can't see. Because the deeper the wound, the deeper the pain, the more reliant and the more uh, completely consumed you are by your heart. That's why when you're devastated, we don't say, oh, I'm so devastated. I have a broken brain. You have a broken heart. Your brain's not broken. Your heart is broken. And so where is what you know about God? If it's up here, it's not going to do you good. It's not going to help you in trial, in calamity, in confusion, in bewilderment. In but when it's here, it's a game changer. And so how does that happen? It happens by by immersing yourself in who God is. So not just, I mean, you know, when you go to church here, you just swim in the ocean of not just what God says, but what does God say tell us about Him? Because that's the point. What does what He says tell us about Him? him so the book of Romans I mean the the eighth chapter of Romans is 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 the the most profound thing ever written in my opinion and it's also the the pinnacle of teaching on the sovereignty of God, although that's not what I chose to use tonight because I wanted to give you a, I wanted to overwhelm you with the variety of places that all of this comes from. But when you get to Romans chapter 11, when Paul has started, I mean, in Romans chapter 1, right off the bat, he's on God's sovereignty, right from the get-go. And the fact that creation it makes him known and that everyone's accountable and on it goes and on it goes and on it goes. And by the time he gets to Roman, Romans 11, he just stops and gasps 
and says, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. You see, his judgments and his ways. That how many times do we see uh, do we see the people of God in the Old Testament? Remember when we uh, studied through the, the kings and week after week after week we saw how God would sovereignly bring about, uh, he would bring, he would utilize foreign armies, he would utilize uh, unbelieving pagan leaders, he would utilize all the things that the world's disposal disposal to bring about different things and he would do that all in accordance with his will and sometimes he would explain to the people why these things were happening and he would warn them about them and then there's sometimes we get little details that they're unaware of and so I'm interested I, I, I thought for the last couple of days I thought about you and I thought about I wonder what you're thinking as you see the Horrific images coming from Ukraine. Do you see that through the sovereignty of God? It's horrific and it's terrible. But God's sovereign. And so it should, it should break our heart. It should compel us to, to, to pray. It should compel us to, to action. It should absolutely... 100%. But God's sovereign. So what does that mean? That means that there's, there's more going on than we can see with our eyes. And you have to understand that. You have to understand that. And it's, it's, it's not for me. Like I thought about all of the examples that I could give you that could be the case, but really, I'm not going to do that because I don't want you to get trapped in that trap because I think that's a trap. I don't think you should be trying to sort out because look, his ways are, his judgments are unsearchable. So that means don't search. You're not going to figure it out. And if you need to know, you'll know. Okay? But what I'm saying is, is that there's there are things going on that are beyond what we can know and understand. And sometimes things happen that are excruciatingly, devastatingly painful. And sometimes we get to see in this life how apart from that pain, so many things that God uh, mended would have never happened apart from that pain. And so the reason why the Bible wants us to know that His, his ways are unsearchable, His judgments are unsearchable, or his, is, is because when something happens, what we should not do like, you don't say to somebody whose heart has just been smashed, devastated by some calamity, you don't say to them in that moment, 
oh, God's up to something. We just don't know what it is. No, but you know what? You're, you're searching. And you shouldn't be doing that. Don't do that. That's insensitive. They need to grieve in that moment. And you need to grieve with them. And you, it's unsearchable, so stop searching. And if God gives us, if God gives us in time, in this life, the ability to see certain things that connect back to that, then that's just a gift of His grace. He's not, he's not obligated to do that. But oftentimes he does that. But just understand something, that there will be a day when your glorification is fully realized. And that you will know as you are known. Mm -hmm. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You see, the, the, the sovereignty of God puts you in a posture of there's, there's so many things that I don't, I can't explain. I just know that God is sovereign. I know the Bible teaches us, God wants us to know that He's sovereign. He's clearly sovereign and He's clearly good. And those two things together can be the, the, the tracks that guide us through the moments of life where we just don't think we can take another step. And you see, that's the thing. Like, the sovereignty of God experienced in your heart is going to produce a fruit. And that fruit is going to be the evidence. So here's the thing. If I, if I walk through some, some terrible calamity with you, I don't wonder whether or not you understand the sovereignty of God. Because this fruit, I'm just, I just look for this fruit. And if I see this fruit, then I know that you are experiencing that in your heart because that's it is the telltale sign that you believe in your heart that God is sovereign. And I wonder what that fruit is. It's the fruit of assurance. You see, sometimes, sometimes church going, Bible professing, Maybe even, uh, maybe even saved people in the midst of, of terrible calamity lose assurance. And once assurance is gone, everything's going to go sideways. It just, it just derails you. You see, you, what about, think about people who suffer with chronic pain, chronic pain, every day, chronic pain, chronic pain, every day, never changes, every day, year after year after year. It's devastatingly difficult. 
it can it can just rob your your joy and your willpower and your but but I've watched people with assurance they know in the midst of that they know that God is with them and they know that they belong to God and they know that that nothing can ever separate them from the love of their heavenly father it's assurance it comes through sovereignty if he's not sovereign that cannot happen that's where assurance comes from so when we experience sovereignty what happens is God's occupation on the throne no longer terrifies us. It satisfies us. It satisfies us. You see, before I understood the sovereignty of God, all of the truths that I would read in Scripture about God's uh, authority and God's reign and God sitting on the throne... It terrified me because you have this incredibly powerful God. But if he's, if he's unpredictable, if he's not known, if he's not, think about it. It's, it's the feeling that you, you would have when you're, it's, you're going to court and you don't know anything about the judge. And you know that there's about to be this sentence levy that could have tremendous ramifications on your life and you don't know anything about the judge you don't know is the judge you know is the judge tend to be you know lenient or very hard or what's the reputation and you're you're asking questions of people do you know you're trying to find out you know the your attorney comes out and you're going well how did it go what you know did, did they look like they were in a good mood or a bad mood or what's going on well because it's terrifying but what if the judge, what if you knew that the judge, you see, what if you didn't know what the judge was going to do? But here's what you knew. You knew that that judge absolutely loved you and was going to do what was best for you. You knew that judge's love for you was above appeasing you you knew that judge's love for you was above doing what you wanted him to do just because you know each other and have a relationship. You knew that this judge had a higher love, a love that was, that was such that nothing could persuade this judge to veer off the decree that would be best for you in the long run, in the long term, period. Think about that. You still wouldn't know what they were going to do, but you could walk in there with absolute peace. And here's what would happen. Think about what we heard last week. It wouldn't be terror, but it would be awe. It would be awe. But there'd be peace and there'd be confidence. There'd be this assurance, this satisfaction in, in knowing that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. You see, in other words, if my citizenship has been conveyed into the kingdom of light, 
that kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Remember, I'm sitting outside the courtroom. And I know that I'm a citizen of an everlasting kingdom. And I know that this judge's dominion endures throughout all generations. So it's not, there, it's not going to come to an end. There's not going to be, this judge is not going to make some declaration that's just going to be, uh, you know, a stopgap measure. You know, no, no. This judge makes decisions based on the totality of my existence, which is in salvation, eternal. So in accordance with my entire eternity, this judge rules over this unending, unbreakable kingdom with this eternal, perfect, always present dominion or knowledge or wisdom. See, it's, it's interesting that here we're, here we're having this conversation. And uh, seven hours ago, this podium was over there, and there was a bunch of lights set up here, and there was cameras all over here, and there were microphones hanging here, and uh, some people from the state came down from Jackson to film some videos uh, because uh, the governor has declared 2022 the year of hope in Mississippi. And so they came down and interviewed me and Judge Dickinson about um, how God's brought hope into our community through Rescue 100 and foster care and so on and so forth and things of that nature and just all sorts of things. But prior to that interview, Miss Ann sitting right here was interviewed. And I sat over there and listened as she told her story. And if you've ever heard her story, you know that really... I could have just, we could have had no worksheet and I could have said nothing. I could have just had her come up here and tell her story and that would have been the end of your questions about the sovereignty of God. Because I didn't know Ann. I'd never met Ann. Until her daughter, her young daughter in her 30s, went to bed one night and didn't wake up. No warning, no sickness, no, not a, not a, not one second to prepare or process. But me and her daughter were really close. She was a wonderful young lady, a single mom. And, you know, I just have a heart for single moms. And uh, so I've been walking with her in her journey with Christ and it was just a beautiful thing and so when I got the phone call I talked to her the day before and uh, when I got the phone call it was it was devastating but what happened it thrust me into the rest of Sarah's world and so now 
we meet in this moment of unexplainable tragedy. And then you know what I didn't do in that moment? I didn't tell her that, you know, don't worry, God's got a bigger plan or don't. You know what? We just cried. That's what we did. And we just grieved and we just tried to figure out how to take the next breath. But through the course of being able to minister to them through that process, you know, God brought us together. And if you know anything about her story, her and Ray's story, then, you know, you you would see that I, I just was sitting there and I was listening. But of course, the lady who's interviewing her doesn't know, you know, she's asking these questions, but she doesn't know the details of any of this. And she's trying to piece all this together. And she's saying, now, hold on a second. You don't, you're not in church. You don't, you're not, you don't go to church. You don't know Tony. You've never been here. Not, and then your daughter passes away. And the next thing that happens is you go through this process to be able to raise your grandson. You get grafted into this faith family. You become a foster parent. You fostered over 20 kids have been in their home in the last three or four years. And, you know, I'm telling the lady who's interviewing her, I said, you know, there's kids in our church that have been adopted into their forever families that came through her home, through her home. They're, they're growing up in this church because she was a foster parent, which she never would have been had it not been for the passing of her daughter. None of that would have ever happened. None of this would have ever happened. And now she's, they've adopted a little girl. And so they're raising a six-year-old little girl. And now there's, a, there's another foster girl that's they've just recently taken in that I haven't even got the chance to meet yet. But this little girl now has, has a home and, and their grandson's growing up with his sister Gabby. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that God's in the details. What, what I'm trying to get you to see is God's in the details. Now here's the thing. Even such to the point that you know, I, I walked back to my office and I thought to myself, this is insane. The 51 other Wednesdays of the year, and they're not, they don't come down here to video this thing today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. This morning, as all of this is rolling around in my head, I'm sitting there listening to her going, well, that's the sovereignty of God right there. And over and over, the interviewer said multiple times, Miss Ann, how did you get through that? How did you get through that? How did you get through that? Over. She just was totally, and every single time she said, I trusted in God. I trusted in God. I trusted in God. It's assurance. It's assurance. It's assurance. God put people in my path. He put, she told stories about when she first walked into the sanctuary 
the, the first time she ever came here, how a couple came and introduced themselves and heard her story and then prayed for that moment and how all these little details happened. Every detail, every detail, every... And listen, over and over and over, and it's like, okay, so what's happening here? God is in those details. And in the moment of it feels like everything is unraveling and you, you, you're not sure how you're going to take your next breath. God is in the details. And so what you do is if you're struggling with the sovereignty of God, then just walk up to Mark and Penny and say, tell me about the sovereignty of God in a brain tumor. Just tell me about that. Walk up to Tim and John and ask them. Say, tell me about the sovereignty of God on a Monday afternoon. It's all over the place. His dominion endures throughout all generations. See, peace doesn't come through the promise that everything will go our way. That is a lie, and it will it defrauds you. Peace comes through the promise that God is sovereign over whatever does come our way. That's so important to see. You see, the sovereignty of God will even prevent you from fearing that hearing, hearing a, a story of something that happens to somebody around you and then it gets in your head and then you start to be overwhelmed with fear that that's going to happen to you, that's violating the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God tells me that I don't need to know. I do not need to know what tomorrow holds because I know who's holding it. His character and His nature. I don't know what the judge is going to decree, but I know that He loves me. And I know that He knows everything about me. And I know that He is utterly and completely committed to my good. How do I know that? He slaughtered His Son so that He could have a relationship with me. Why would I doubt His love? It's all in, when, when this gets into your heart, everything just begins to, 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 to get grafted together and you start to see. And you see, the thing about it is, is that even in, even in the pain, see, the, knowing that God is sovereign doesn't make the event that brought you to that realization, okay. Understand that. It doesn't. That's why you never tell somebody in the moment or you know, that God's up to something. Don't tell them that. Because the pain is real and the pain will continue for a time. And or for any for your lifespan, but he, but every time the pain comes, God's sovereign in the pain also. See, 
He's not just sovereign in the event. He's sovereign in the pain. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that in some, you know, unsearchable way, what God does is he, he, he molds us in the, the moment. He molds us in the, in the after effects. He's molding us. So if, if you're, you know, just think back on the times that I've, I've talked to you about a biblical understanding of grief and remember that, you know, this idea that after some set amount of time we should be over something is it's absurd. It's wrong. That's wrong. That's not how it works. You may never get over it. That's okay. God's sovereign in that lingering pain. He's, he's sovereign. He's working in that. And so embrace that. Because if, if 20 years later your heart is still broken, wow, that was, that's quite a love, isn't it? That's quite a love. And God's sovereign in that. And so in the fact that you had the depth of heart to be able to be in a relationship of love that deep, then, then look around you and inevitably you know what will happen. You'll, you, you'll begin to see where that love has started to permeate into other people's lives. The love that, the love that devastates you in the loss of a daughter propels you in the adoption and foster care of others. You see that? He's sovereign in the pain as well. And so, the more confidence that we have that God is sovereign over all things, the more assurance we will have to follow Him into anything and to trust Him with everything. With everything. Because that's who He is. That's who he is. And apart from salvation, my longing and prayer for each of you is that you would, you would experience the sovereignty of God. 